in John chapter 14. I'll be reading verses 16 through 17, a message I've entitled simply, The Holy Spirit. Please stand with me out of honor to God and His Word. Jesus speaking says, And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him. But ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. Thank you. you may be seated. Uh, we're looking at the Holy Spirit today. You might, send, you might say, well, I thought we were in the book of Ezekiel. And we are. Uh, but uh, Claudine asked me about a month ago. She said, hey, why don't you speak on the Holy Spirit? We don't hear enough about the Holy Spirit. And our sermons are planned about a month in advance. And so, uh, you know, we were able to work it in. And so that's what we did. But speaking of the Holy Spirit, there was a boy. He was riding his bike outside a church. And the Catholic priest saw him and told him to come inside the church. And the boy said, no, somebody will steal my bike. But the priest explained how the Holy Spirit would take care of his bike. So they both went inside. The priest showed the boy how to make the sign of the cross. You know, in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. And then he asked the boy to repeat it. And the boy said, in the name of the Father and the Son, Amen. And the priest said, what about the Holy Spirit? The boy said, he's outside taking care of my bike. Let's look at the Holy Spirit this morning. First of all, from what Jesus said here, looking at the prophecy of the Holy Spirit, the prophecy of the Holy Spirit, the prophecy that the Holy Spirit would come. Notice what Jesus says here in verse 16. He said, I will pray or I will ask the Father and he will send you. So it's future tense here. This is a prophecy. The Holy Spirit would come. Jesus had just told his disciples he was going to be leaving. He would be going away. Jesus would leave and the Father would send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead along with God the Father and God the Son. He is co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent with God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit is one of the Trinity sharing God's character traits. For instance, personality. God the Father, God the Son have personality. God the Holy Spirit has personality. That is a trait that they share together. Also, He is truthful. Indeed, He is truth. Look in verse 17. He's called the Spirit of truth. God the Father is truthful. God the Son is truthful. God the Spirit is truthful. They are all three holy. Look in verse 26. Jesus says, But the Comforter who is the Holy Ghost, so they are holy, He is eternal. Look in verse 16. It says there, He may abide with you forever. And He's knowable. Just as you can know the Father personally and you can know the Son personally, you can know the Holy Spirit personally. He is knowable. Verse 17 says this, but you know Him. And so it makes sense that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are all together one God. And they all share common character traits, personality, truth, holiness, eternality, and being knowable. As I mentioned to the children, the Holy Spirit is known interchangeably in the Scriptures as Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. Again, the reason why the difference is some places Holy Spirit, some places Holy Ghost, is just a preference of the translators. The word is the same in Greek. For spirit, for ghost, and even for wind, they're all three the same word in Greek. And so when a translator wants to use spirit, or wants to use ghost, it's just a personal preference. It's not a different person or different entity or anything like that. But something you might not know is that the prophecy of the Holy Spirit is actually hidden in Scripture. 
in Genesis chapter 24. I want us to look at this, probably a familiar passage to you. But Genesis 24, verses 2 through 4 says, And Abraham said to his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all he had, Put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but thou shalt go into my country and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son Isaac. Now, you probably know this story, how Abraham wants his servant to go find a wife for his son Isaac. But hidden in there is the Holy Spirit. Let me show you how. In the story, Abraham typifies the father. Now, this is a real story, but it typifies the father in heaven. Isaac, obviously, is the son. The servant is earlier identified as a man named Eleazar. Now, that's in Genesis 15 and verse 2. Now, this servant was highly trusted. He was a highly respected servant. We might call him today a chief of staff or right-hand man. Eleazar in Hebrew means comforter. And so we see the father sending the comforter to gather a bride for the son. Here we have in Genesis 24, hidden in plain sight, the prophecy of the Holy Spirit. God sent the Holy Spirit, the comforter. The Holy Spirit gathers people to the faith. And the church is the bride of Christ. Now the Holy Spirit is very active through both the Old and the New Testament. Uh, like at, in creation. You read Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, The Spirit of God hovered over the waters. You've got the Holy Spirit interacting with King Saul in 1 Samuel 10.10. Or Gideon in Judges chapter 6 and verse uh, 33, 34, before the attack of the Midianites. And it really wasn't that big of a deal, just a bunch of broken jars and, and trumpets, thanks to God. But that's the Holy Spirit came upon Gideon. Or what about Samson? Samson has a, a, a knockdown drag out with a lion and the, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came upon him and he tore that lion to shreds. Shifting to the New Testament. We see the angel coming to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. Notice what it says. The angel said to her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And so we see the Holy Spirit very active in the Old Testament, very active in the New Testament. Not a new thing. Not a new thing. He is the eternal Holy Spirit of God. The difference is in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit had provided a temporary filling. And so in other words, when King Saul needed him, he came and left. When Gideon needed him, he came and left. When Samson needed him, he came and he left. The Holy Spirit had been a temporary filling. Now he is permanent. So we see the prophecy of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, I want us to look at the promise of the Holy Spirit. In other words, what he would be. When Jesus says this Holy Spirit is coming, I want you to know what he's going to be when he gets here. First of all, he would be personal. I want you to notice in these verses that Jesus refers to him as he and him. Personal pronouns. He never calls him it. And you and I should never refer to the Holy Spirit as it. It came upon me or, you know, it, it. No, he's not an it. He's a person. Secondly, he's indwelling. He's indwelling. The Holy Spirit indwells our bodies and our bodies become his temple. Notice what Jesus says in verse 17. The last phrase there, he shall be in you. He's indwelling. Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. 
He said, what, don't you know your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God, which is in you, and you are not your own? Now, I've shared this with you before, but I think it's so very important. When Paul says that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, there are two Greek words that can be translated temple. In English, you just hear temple, and you just see temple. But in Greek, there's two. The one word for temple refers to the whole temple area, as you see here, the courtyard and so on. The other word for temple refers to the Holy of Holies, that place behind the curtain, back where the Ark of the Covenant was, where only the high priest could go in, and then only once a year, that was where God dwelt. Now, when the Apostle Paul says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, does he use the word referring to the whole temple place? Or do he use the word that refers to the Holy of Holies? Well, Paul uses the word naos, which in Greek is the Holy of Holies. In other words, our bodies become the very Holy of Holies where God himself dwells. We are the church. This building is not the church. We are the church. Each one of us individually is the temple of God Almighty. And we are to care for God's temple. And so what you wouldn't do in church, don't do anywhere. You know, sometimes I joke with you guys. Some of you, I've said, ah, there he goes, lying in church. You know, and we joke about that. Like there's certain things you shouldn't do because you're in church. <laughs> well, keep in mind, that's just a joke because... You are the church. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And what you wouldn't do in this building, you shouldn't do in this temple. He lives within us. He has promised to never leave us. And so hear me. When you and I choose to sin, we drag him right along with us. Now, we don't cause him to sin. Don't misunderstand me. God doesn't sin, okay? But he lives within us. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. So when you and I sin, we're dragging him along in our sin. What you wouldn't do in church, don't do anywhere. You are the church. You're the very temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Well, he's personal. He's indwelling. He's our helper. He's our helper. He's a paraclete. That word paraclete means one who's called alongside to help. And notice what Jesus calls him here in verse 16. He calls him another. He says, I will pray the Father. He'll send you another comforter. Now, I don't want to give you too much of a Greek lesson here today, but that word another in Greek can have two different words. One word means another of the same kind. The other word means another of a different kind. Now, in English, it just says another. So when you get in the Greek, you've got to find out what Jesus is saying here. Is he saying that God's going to send another comforter just like Jesus? Or he's going to be another comforter that's totally different? The word Jesus uses is allos, which means another of the same kind. In other words, this Holy Spirit, this comforter would be just like Jesus. Now, a comforter is an advocate. A comforter is a legal friend. The point is that if Jesus were here Physically, like he was before. But if he were here physically right now, his presence with us would be no different than that of the Holy Spirit that we have even now. He's personal. He's indwelling. He's a helper. He's invisible. Physically to all, a spirit can't be seen. And so nobody sees the Holy Spirit, no human anyway, sees the Holy Spirit. He's invisible to all physically, but he's invisible spiritually to the world. Look back to verse 17. The spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him. 
physically, the Holy Spirit is invisible to everyone. But spiritually, he's only invisible to the unbelieving world. We, who have spiritual eyes, can see God's Holy Spirit. We can see him. They can't see him because they are spiritually blind. Well, fifthly, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Unlike Jesus who was not. When Jesus was here on this earth, he could only be in one place at one time. If he were in Jerusalem, he couldn't be in Galilee. If he were in Galilee, he couldn't be in Jerusalem at the same time. He's self-limited to become a human. But the Holy Spirit can be everywhere he wants to be simultaneously. And so we see the prophecy of the Holy Spirit, that he would come. We see the promise of the Holy Spirit, what he would be. Let's look thirdly at the practice of the Holy Spirit, what he would do. Well, the first thing I want you to know the Holy Spirit does, he births us. He brings about spiritual birth in us. Look what Jesus said about him in John 3 and verse 5. Truly I say unto you, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Being born again is not just a minor requirement for salvation. You know, some people think, well, I want to be saved, and so there must be this list of check boxes. I've got to do this, got to do that, got to do that. And they might say, well, being born again, that must be one of the minor requirements to be saved. Being born again is not just a minor requirement for salvation. Jesus said this, you must be born again. Being born again is salvation. That's what it is. It is salvation. I was talking to a guy many years ago about the Lord and about being saved. He said, oh, I believe. I'm just none of that born-again stuff. If you're not born again, you're not saved. It's that simple. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, he brings about spiritual birth. Secondly, he's a teacher. He teaches us and he reminds us of the things we already know about God. In fact, look over in verse 26. Jesus says, But the Comforter, who is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I've said to you. Now, there are great theological teachers out there. And there are some great preachers out there. But hear me on this. You can learn nothing about the things of God without the Holy Spirit. You may love your Sunday school teacher. You may love your pastor, your preacher. But you don't learn a thing from them without the Holy Spirit of God. Notice what it says. He doesn't, it doesn't say he teaches us some things. It says he will teach you all things. You can learn nothing about the things of God without the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this is also a veiled reference to the writing of Scripture. For you see, the Holy Spirit inspired men who wrote the Scriptures so that what was written is accurate. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And when you study that, you find out it was the Holy Spirit who was inspiring the men to write what they wrote. As a result, God's Word is absolutely trustworthy well he brings about spiritual birth he births us he teaches us he reminds us he's our intercessor here he intercedes for us helping us pray when we don't know how to pray you ever been in a situation maybe it was your own situation or somebody shared something with you and they said i want you to pray for me and it was such a difficult situation it was such a tragic situation you got down to pray and you just didn't even know how to pray you didn't know what to say well, that's where the Holy Spirit takes over and finishes on our behalf. 
Paul talks about that in Romans 8, 26, where he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He's our intercessor. He's our convictor of sin. He convicts us. He convicts us. Look what Jesus says about that in John 16, 8. And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Do you realize it's not the preacher who makes you feel guilty? It's not the preacher who caused you to, to fall under conviction. Oh, preachers may know how to work the crowd. They may know how to tell the stories that bring tears to your eyes. But when you fall under conviction, when you come to feeling guilty, it's not the preacher. It's the Holy Spirit of God. It is just the Holy Spirit working through God's Word and God's servant. But it's the Spirit that does it. Fifthly, I want you to know He's a fruit producer. He produces fruit in us. Here is the fruit Paul talks about in Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Well, let me pause here. Love. Tomorrow's Valentine's Day. Men, don't blow it like you did last year. Love. Look at my tie. Love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The presence of the Holy Spirit within us will be evident. The Holy Spirit begins to produce fruit from the inside out. Once He lives within you, He begins to produce fruit on the outside. I want you to notice something in this verse. There's only one fruit of the Spirit. In English it's singular, in Greek it's singular, but the fruit of the Spirit. Paul doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit, plural, there's many fruits. There is only one fruit of the Spirit. Now this one fruit of the Spirit is multifaceted, like a diamond. Hint, guys, like a diamond. But that one diamond has all these different cuts and facets on it so that it shines brilliantly and so on. There is only one fruit of the Spirit, but it has all these nine different facets, love, joy, peace, patience, all of that. Each Christian life will be characterized by all nine facets. No Christians to say, well, I'm good on the love part, but I'm not so good on the, the patience part. Well, I'm really good on the gentleness part, but I'm not really good about the self-control part. No, there's only one fruit of the Spirit. There's only one Holy Spirit, and that one Holy Spirit is going to produce the fruit of the Spirit, all nine facets in every single Christian. And I want you to notice something else here, too. We are not commanded. And when you read this in context, I know I'm not showing you the whole context, but when you read it in context, we're not commanded to produce this fruit. It is the supernatural result of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Once the Holy Spirit of God is living within you, He will supernaturally cause the fruit of the Spirit to be manifested in your life. Understand this, please. Babbling in tongues is not the evidence of the indwelling Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Now, some people would say, well, I got the Holy Spirit, and the proof of it is I started babbling and saying all kind of crazy stuff. That ain't the evidence of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence that God's Spirit is living within you. Well, lastly, I want you to know the Holy Spirit is a gifter. He gifts us. 
He gives us. He gives us spiritual gifts. Paul talks about that at length in 1 Corinthians 12. But let me just show you one verse, verse 11. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. That word man there could mean person. So every believer gets at least one spiritual gift. And while he gives the gifts to us, they are not for us. The gifts are individual, but the benefit is congregational. Listen that Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 12 where he says, yes, the gifts are individual, but the benefit is congregational. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 12. I read the wrong one in early service, so I'll make sure I get it. Even so ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Yes, God gives us the gifts, but they're not for us. And while the gifts are individual, the benefit is to be congregational. If your gift is not benefiting the church, you are misusing your gift. And any believer not exercising his gift in church is depriving the church of God's intention for that gift. Now, the New Testament has three gift lists And I'm going to give you these references in a second. But it has three gift lists where the Apostle Paul lists different spiritual gifts. And what I want you to understand, because we're not going to go over them. I'm just going to give you the references because some of you take notes. But these three gift lists are representative of spiritual gifts, not exhaustive of them. For instance, when you read these three gift lists, you'll not see something on there that says a web page supervisor or a web page manager. You know why? Because they didn't have the internet. They didn't have web pages back then. But we have people in this very church who are using their technical gifts who are able to update and and keep our website fresh using that spiritual gift from God. And so again, when you look at these gift lists, and here they are, Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 11, Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12, I'll repeat those. But you're not going to see a webmaster anywhere in there. And yet that is something that God uses even at this very church to proclaim his glory. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 8 through 11. And Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. These are representative lists, not exhaustive lists. Because you might look through that list and say, I don't see webmaster anywhere. That's right. It's a representative list. And I want you to know that part of my job here as your pastor is to help you discover your gifts and then find opportunities for you to use them. And so I want you to go and study those gift lists. If you don't already know what your gifts are, go study those gift lists as a starting spot and then ask God, you know, what is my gift? Show me from this what I need to do. And then if you're still not sure, come see me. And if you definitely know for sure what your gift is, but you're not using it, come see me. And we'll put you to work serving God using your gifts in his church. And so we've seen the prophecy of the Spirit, that he would come. We see the promise of the Holy Spirit, what he would be. We see the the practice of the Holy Spirit, what he would do. And finally, I want us to look at the presentation of the Holy Spirit, how he would come. How is the Holy Spirit going to be presented once and for all to the church? Well, you probably know the story. He came at Pentecost initially. 
And what he did was those disciples who were kind of scared and hiding, he empowered them to action. Jesus told them to wait. This is in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He said, I want you to wait until the Spirit comes. Here it is. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and the innermost part of the earth. But they were waiting. God, uh, the Lord Jesus said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until the power comes. And then he did. And the Holy Spirit transformed these scared disciples from cower to power. Not only did he empower them to action, he enabled them to speak. The Bible says that Jews from all over the world were visiting Jerusalem at Pentecost. Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. It was a big feast celebration. And Jews from all over the world were in Jerusalem. And the Bible says that each one heard the gospel in his own native language. Go with me to Acts chapter 2. It's very important. I want you to follow along in your Bibles here. Acts chapter 2. I'm just going to read the first six verses. This describes what happened on Pentecost. If you have any friends who are Pentecostal, they get their name from this passage, Pentecost. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. It filled the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it sat on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because every man heard them speak in his own language. My friends, tongues is not heavenly language, it's human language. You say, well, that's just your opinion. Well, that is my opinion, but I want you to know where I get my opinion straight off the pages of Scripture because that's what it says. People from all over the world heard the gospel in his own native language. Again, if you have Pentecostal friends, you need to take them back to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and show them what the Bible says happened, not what the preacher said happened because who cares what the preacher says, what God says. That's what matters. Well, the Holy Spirit came initially at Pentecost, and that was a big deal. But I want you to know that ever since, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell his people immediately upon salvation. The moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you believe he died on the cross to pay for your sins, that he was buried for your sins, and the third day he rose again from the dead. At that very moment, God's Holy Spirit comes to live inside of Now, the unbelieving world cannot receive the Spirit. Again, look what Jesus says in verse 17. He says, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. The unbelieving world cannot receive the Holy Spirit. Believers receive Him immediately. And by the way, this is also called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know you've heard the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's something that happens later. No, it ain't. Just like when we dunk somebody here and they're completely immersed in the water... When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are completely filled, completely immersed in the Holy Spirit of God. But I want you to know something else about Him. And that is that the Holy Spirit living within us, He is the down payment of our redemption. 
You know, if you go to buy a car, you make a down payment. You go to buy a house, you make a down payment. And that down payment, it's also called earnest money, that down payment is saying, okay, I've made this initial payment. I promise I'm going to pay the rest. Look what Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. In whom also you trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, talk about Jesus here, in whom also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of His glory. God has promised to save you. He's promised to give you eternal life. He's promised you're going to walk the streets of gold in heaven. You haven't done that yet. But He's made the down payment. The earnest money is God's Holy Spirit living inside of you. And because God has made the down payment, that means He's going to follow through with everything else. And so the bottom line is this, my friends. Jesus is coming back. And the Holy Spirit living within us is the proof. We've got the down payment. God's going to pay off on the rest of everything he has promised us in his word. And so as we look at the Holy Spirit today, we see the prophecy of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he's going to come. And he did in a big way. And he's still here living in me. Secondly, we see the promise of the Holy Spirit, what he would be. He is everything we said he is and more because he's the Lord God Almighty. And then we see the practice of the Holy Spirit, what he would do. He did all the things I've told you and so much more. And then we saw the presentation of the Holy Spirit. Initially at Pentecost, that was a different thing. That was a one-time deal. Ever since then, the moment you invite Jesus Christ into your heart to be your Savior... God's Holy Spirit comes to live in you, and he'll live in you forever. And so the invitation this morning is, first of all, to Christians. If you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. Start living like it. Because remember, you don't make him sin, but when you sin, you drag him right along with you. God's Spirit lives within you. Start living like it. And for those of you who have not yet believed, those who have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Savior, what are you waiting for? There is nothing like being a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. There is nothing like knowing that God is sovereign over your entire, the entire universe, not just your life. There is nothing like being indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, guiding you, correcting you, leading you, blessing you. You don't know what you're missing. Stop sitting on the fence. Stop sticking to your pew. Invite Jesus Christ in your heart to be your Savior. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll grant you eternal life. You're on your way to heaven. And until then, He gives you the down payment of His Holy Spirit living within you. And He promises, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Christian, you've got the Holy Spirit living in you. Live like it. If you're not yet a Christian, receive Christ. It'll be the greatest experience, not only of your life, but of all eternity. Receive him and be blessed forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your indwelling Holy Spirit. And now we invite him to do his work in this room, as he already has been, getting Christians to live like we ought to. 
and folks who aren't Christians yet, bringing them to your son Jesus Christ in whose name we pray.